Off the weekend, we are back. It is the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. We are here off of Thanksgiving weekend. Rayfield feeling much better. He's in a better mood. We had some good action. I'm, can I tell you I'm crotchety right now? I'm tired. I'm crotchety. How did my Buccaneers blow the game with the Cleveland Browns? How did, how did, uh, like, okay, I've got to move on. This is a boxing podcast. But I was in Cleveland. I was in Alabama first. Do not swat me about not getting near the uh, Deontay Wilder statue because we tried. We were in an hour and a half traffic jam, and I eventually had to call it off on trying to get to the Wilder statue to get the selfie. I was legitimately going to get you a selfie, Rayfield, with Tiki Barber and me in front of the statue, but we couldn't get to it trying to get to the Alabama-Auburn game because of the traffic. So I worked that this weekend. I've been in Cleveland, but now I'm back with you and we're ready to talk fights. And we've got a new champ, Regis Progre, by virtue of his knockout win for the WBC 140-pound title. Dillian White won a fight that I want Dan's insight on. I get the feeling you think maybe gift decision, maybe should have been a draw. I'll get Dan's feelings on that with Jermaine Franklin. So we've got a lot to recap on the weekend. Uh, how you you look better. You've been sounding better when I've been talking to you off the air. You're feeling better. You're back on your feet. I know you've been under the weather, but you you look better. I'm uh, I'm about 80%. I feel I feel a lot better. I can breathe. Uh, <laughs> breathing can, is good. <laughs> breathing is good. I'm not as congested as I have been. I, you, I, you probably still hear it in my voice a little bit. It's listen, I, I, I took a pretty good one the last. I got sick yeah. like last Tuesday, I guess, or last two, uh, Wednesday morning, whatever it's been. It's been almost a week and it's uh, not fun. And with little victories suck, because you got up, you got the Thanksgiving leftovers. What about Saturday? And you were texting me, "Leave me alone! I can actually taste food right now, and I'm having Thanksgiving." Okay, so I had to stop bothering you before you were watching all the fights. Uh, by the way, thank you for finding us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. We do come your way with this recap off the weekend. It's typically out earlier on Monday. Bear with me, peeps. We can't always get it done because of my travel duties or Dan. Uh, Most of the time, it's me. We're getting it done here. You're getting it midday on Monday. You typically will have it Monday morning, but we're here. We're here for you. They want to follow. They want to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get it to this Big Fight Weekend podcast feed because Fight Freaks Unite comes out and then you automatically get notified. Correct? Tell them you get notified. You're going to know when it's out. You get a ding. You get a bell. You get a banner. You get a vibration. You get a what else? A light. a light. Light. I yeah. get a light on my phone. I get a banner sometimes on my phone. Brand new podcast uh, that's up if you're following or subscribing. The so vibration. The vibration, whatever the case is. Buzz. There it is. Podcast Buzz. is there. Click the link and you go. Uh, so that's what we do. And we're here in the recap mode. So let's start with the Carson, California, Marv Nation promoted card. Again, full disclosure, I've seen highlights. I've read the recaps, including your recap. Did a great job with that. I've not seen the entire fight, but to me, it was very competitive. Regis Progray wins it. He wins it by stoppage. Uh, your thoughts on this, breaking it down, Mighty One Go. Well, I didn't think it was all that competitive. Uh, uh, Regis Progray basically felt him out the first round, didn't do a whole lot. Zapata clearly was the winner of round one. Uh, all three judges gave him the first round wasn't like he did anything extra special. He just, you know, beat him to the punch, outlanded him a little bit. And, uh, you know, I thought, okay, now we're going to settle in for, you know, a good competitive fight. Progre came back and started to win other rounds. And um, I guess you could say it was competitive through maybe about four rounds, even though most people would have had it up three to one in favor of Regis Progre. But he really picked it up the pace of his of his uh, activity level after that uh, and started landing many more punches. And he dominated the fight. I mean, Zapata, to his credit, he showed uh, a willingness, and he and he stood in and he, he tried, but he just never seemed like he had a real plan. 
And from the fifth round on, which is that was the round where Regis really picked up the pace. If you look at the CompuBox stats, he landed 22 out of 77 punches in that round. That was the most punches he landed in a single round for the entire fight. You know, he pretty much took over and did as he pleased. You know, Regis looked good. He used a lot of upper body movement, a lot of head movement. He was quicker with his hands, quicker with his feet. He landed a lot of solid punches. Uh, the straight left hand was just a dominant weapon throughout the fight. And, uh, you know, they're both southpaws, so that was a very effective punch for him. Look, he just he did a good job. I mean, you're talking about, as we mentioned, going into this fight, when we were previewing it last week, this was without question two of the top, let's say, at worst, 540-pounders in boxing. I don't think it's uh, out of the realm now to say with Progray, with the type of victory that he won, that, you know, you can make the argument. Now, look, Josh Taylor's the champ. But in terms of who you think's the best, who you th- and he has a win over Progray also, granted, very close. Mm-hmm. But based on how close that fight was and how Josh looked in the last fight against Catterell and how Progray looked in this one, you can make a true argument that they're basically 1A and 1B. If you want to tell me that you think that Progray is the better fighter or the he'll win a rematch or however you want to look at it, I can't argue with that. I mean, you can make a real strong argument that Regis Progray, based on what happened Saturday, should be considered the number one uh, most um, talented or best, or however you want to phrase it, 140-pounder in boxing. Obviously, there's guys that are going to have quarrels with that. Josh will be one of them. Uh, you know, Tifima Lopez is now new to the weight class. He's going to be coming back uh, for his second fight. Uh, against uh, Sander Martin and the guy that upset Mikey Garcia. He has a main event coming up next week. You've got uh, Tank Davis uh, still fighting at 135, but is going to be slightly over the limit uh, and when he fights Ryan Garcia later or next year. Point is, uh, with Ryan Garcia in the weight class and also uh, Progray uh, doing what he did, Zapata still protect, potentially a factor. You know, it's it's a hot weight class. I didn't mention Gary Antoine Russell and mm-hmm. the other guys with the belts, uh, you know, Alberto Pollo and and Sabriel Matias and Jeremiah's Ponce were fighting for a big deal. My point is it's a very solid weight class. But right now, Regis looks to be, you know, at worst, number two, TJ. And it was a great knockout, by the way. He closed the show. He didn't leave it to uh, the judges. You know, he left it to the judges against Josh Taylor. He lost the majority decision. By the way, I forgot to mention Jose Ramirez is still there also. That's Who's going to get a crack, at least from a point of view of the WBC, as the mandatory. You're taking my Regis. follow-up questions again. Hey. You're taking my follow-up questions. That's okay. But, hey, say this about Progray because you did the interview. We played it on the podcast. I, the word I'll use, it's been an odyssey for him to get another title shot of some three years. He finally got it. He finally won. We don't root per se. We're interested in covering this. We might have our favorites and like certain fighters. But I was rooting for the story here of him getting another shot and making the most of it and good for Regis Progray. I will say that on the recap podcast. He followed through. He has a world title. Your thought on that real quick? He does. But, I mean, I think it would. I mean, again, I I usually root for a story also, not necessarily for Mm -hmm. the fighter. But in the case of Progray versus Zapata, you don't think you can really go wrong either way because certainly there's the aspect that you just mentioned in terms of the the long wait and, and, the, and the three years that it took him to get back to a title fight for Regis. But the same could be said in a similar way for Jose Zapata, a guy that had other opportunities who suffered a loss in a lightweight title fight due to injury, not because he got beat. That was back in, uh, what, 2015, I believe, uh, when he fought Terry Flanagan for the WBO lightweight title. He had a majority decision loss against Jose Ramirez for the same WBC title, a fight that a lot of people thought was uh, a fight that could have gone the other way. Certainly, if you thought that Regis Progray beat Josh Taylor, you could have the same opinion that Jose Zapata beat Jose Ramirez. Uh, and keep in mind, when Regis lost to Taylor, he did it over in the UK on uh, Josh Taylor's turf. 
And uh, when Zapata lost to um, Jose Ramirez, he did it in his hometown. So, you know, they have a lot of similarities. They were both majority decisions. So the point is the story would have been uh, similar. You know, I'd be happy for both guys. They're both good guys. Um, but we just showed his class. Uh, he's, he's a really good fighter. And he uh, he had a, a good offense performance. And the thing about it was, again, copy box, as I've said many times, does not make or break the fight in my mind. But it's hard to ignore when the statistics are so overwhelming in one favor uh, of, of one, you know, favor of one guy or the other. And the activity level that Regis showed uh, was dominating. And it wasn't like it was back end heavy or front end heavy. It was consistent throughout the fight where he just beat him to the punch and just had a much more volume, much more landed punches than Zapata. Zapata just didn't look like he had a, I wrote, he didn't look like he had a plan B. But to me, it looked like sometimes he didn't have a plan A. Mm. All right, so you've mentioned the name Jose Ramirez a couple of times. He was originally supposed to be in this vacant title fight, rematching Zapata. He stepped aside on his own and said, hey, I'm getting married. He's marrying uh, his longtime girlfriend, fiance, mother of his children. He said, I need a couple of weeks in and around. I'm not going to be able to train. Okay, so now the WBC wants that to be the next fight. From what you know and what you think, how soon might we see Progre and Jose Ramirez real quick? I'm not super confident necessarily. I just know that if the WBC uh, follows its rules, they knew that this Zapata program fight for the vacant title uh, was going to take place. They discussed it at their convention. Uh, they made Jose Ramirez the, the mandatory, which was not unexpected whatsoever because of what you mentioned as far as him uh, delaying his opportunity because of his impending wedding. Uh, so now he's the mandatory. And the other important factor in terms of WBC rules is that if you win, a vacant title as Regis Prograde did on Saturday night that you're supposed to then have back-to-back mandatory defenses. The first mandatory up is, is Jose Ramirez. So at some point, you know, it's not going to be like tomorrow, but you know, sometime in the, in the near future, the WBC will formally order the, 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 the size between Regis and Jose to begin negotiations. They'll have a certain time period to do so. And if they don't make a deal, they'll order a person based on that it would seem like that would be the next fight, but, but this is boxing, man, all kinds of stuff can happen. Always. Uh, you know, <laughs> certainly Regis Progray is not going to go give up the title. I mean, Regis Progray hundred percent is going to be willing, ready and able, I believe to make a mandatory against Jose Ramirez or whoever they order. And it's can gonna be you Jose. make the argument? He would be the A side as the champion now in this case and make good money probably on this fight again. I don't know, but it, to me, that's compelling. We'll see. We'll see if it gets done. Like you always Listen, say, it's not, it's not done. I would until love they to see that fight. Announce. A couple of things about that, by the way. Regis Progray, they, they both bring stuff to the table. Regis has the title. And Regis is the one coming off the big win. But Jose Ramirez is the bigger draw. You know, no disrespect to, to Regis or to Zapata. They barely drew 4,000 people to the fight on Saturday night. I can't suspect that the pay-per-view is going to do some big gangbusters number. Jose Ramirez has routinely drawn... 10,000 plus for his fights in California. He's drawn mm-hmm. good crowds throughout it. This is, he's been drawing great crowds since even before he was a champion. So he's clearly the A side in terms of who has the biggest fan base. Mm-hmm. But that's the beauty of these types of fights. You need two to tango. You need a guy that can help bring in ticket buyers and, and viewers. But you also, you know, have Regis who brings the hardware. And remember, before Regis joined the World Boxing Super Series, where he ended up winning a title and meeting up with, Josh Taylor in the final. The fight that was supposed to happen was uh, Jose Ramirez and Progray. In fact, Ramirez got the title shot and, and, Ramir- and uh, Progray had stepped aside before that. 
So these guys have been on a collision course going back since like 2000, I guess, 18 or so. Uh, this is a fight that top rank and back at the time, Lou DiBella was Regis's promoter. They were discussing the prospect of making it. Jose did not join the tournament. Regis did. You know, they, they, they did a fight where top rank put one of his fights on ESPN and made it for like the diamond title. They were doing all kinds of maneuvering to not make uh, Regis fight Jose Ramirez at that point as they were trying to do other things. Um, point is, they've been circling each other for a while. Now, the shoe's on the other foot. It's Regis with the title and Ramirez is the mandatory as opposed to the other way around. It's a fight that should happen. It's a great matchup on paper. They're clearly two of the best, you know, three, four guys in the weight class. I've already said to you, I think you can argue that Progray is number one. Uh, but I'm not going to hold my breath for that fight for a variety of reasons. Hopefully it will happen. All right. Fair enough. Real quick on the undercard, because I want to get to the fights in Britain in the recap mode. Undercard, what stood out? I know you're a fan of the uh, the Uzbek heavyweight, Jalalov. Tell me more about his bout and, and the rest of the undercard. Go ahead. Well, as I said to you on the preview podcast, the Jalalov fight, I didn't go into this pay-per-view expecting him to see some rousing all-time action heavyweight battle uh, that's going to be competitive. I went in thinking this is going to be a squash match, and I want to see Jalalov, how he looks, and what kind of devastation he can put on against you know a competent journeyman uh, because I think I'm looking at a guy that has a really serious chance to be the next heavyweight champion of the world coming out of the Olympics with the super heavyweight gold medal. And he did exactly what you expected him to do. He got rid of Curtis Harper in four rounds. He did so very uh, um, uh, in a poised manner, in a controlled manner. When he started landing the straight left hand, he's a southpaw that, that Curtis Harper has had absolutely no prayer. He dropped him in, in the twice and uh, stopped him in the fourth round. It was, I thought pretty much a flawless performance from the Jalov. He's a big, strong guy. And as I said uh, on Twitter after the knockout, right now with only uh, 12 professional fights, he's already a problem for a lot of guys in the heavyweight division. Now, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you know, put him in with, you know, Tyson Fury tomorrow or put him in with Alexander Rusik with one of the champions. But, you know, you can't tell me that he wouldn't have a chance to win against basically anybody in the weight class. I mean, and I'm talking about all the way. You know, Deontay Wilder down. Again, I'm not saying he's going to win those fights necessarily, but anybody that would look at those matchups and say that's a mismatch the other way is insane. You know, he would be very, very well equipped to be in a fight with, pick a guy, Anthony Joshua, Dylan White, Andy Ruiz, uh, you know, go on down the line. So, uh, you know, he needs some more seasoning professionally. We still haven't seen what happens when he gets clipped. Um, that's always the key with heavyweights. The, the idea is if you're the manager or the promoter, you hope you never find out. Uh, and if you do, you see if he can take the shot. But offensively and technically, he has a lot going for him. He really he, – let me tell you something. His straight left hand is as straight as an arrow. That's You can't really teach that. The, mm. the, the straightness of his punches is really something to behold. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm Eddie Futch as a trainer, but I know a straight punch when I see it. But we and, hear uh, we hear fighters talk about all the time. The most powerful punch is the straight punch, more so oh than a hook or a and so that's what you're saying. His 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 uh his left hand is a, is a is a beautiful thing, and uh, he's got you know for a guy that's like six seven, he's got good footwork and he seems got good. You know, I was very close to Emmanuel Stewart for a long time before he passed, and when we would talk boxing uh, uh, X's and O's, and you know I would <laughs> he'd be the do the one doing the talking. I did most of the listening. But, you know, the one thing, and Emmanuel preached this when I would talk to him, I heard him say it on HBO broadcast a million times. Uh, you know, 
footwork is such a big deal. And he would always talk about how good a big guy's feet are. And, and Jalilov would make Emmanuel Stewart smile with the way his feet mm. are. He's got good feet. I know it sounds weird to say, but uh, that's the base. That's where you where everything comes from. If your feet are no good and you can't balance and you don't have the ability to move around, you're in trouble. And he's he can do a lot of things. He's a he's a really really a level prospect. You're making a great point. I'll cross over sports because Warren Sapp's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he had fantastic feet, uh, and quick. Uh, explosive and he all the time is breaking down game film on social media and going after people saying watch the feet watch the leverage and you're saying the same thing about boxing bring it back to why are you a big time puncher what kind of leverage what kind of stance do you have and you're we're not crowning Jalalov. you're just no. saying look at the makings of somebody that can contend for a world title and you see good fundamentals that's what the you're talking about you see good fundamentals the foundation is there and there you, you combine that foundation from the from the great pedigree as an amateur, uh, you know, all the way through the gold medal victory. Uh, you can't teach size. You can't teach six seven, two hundred and fifty mm -hmm. pounds. You know, you can't teach power. Uh, usually, you can improve power a little bit, but he's blessed with that. Uh, the fact that he's a southpaw is a scary proposition. There haven't been a lot of big time punching, heavy punching southpaw heavyweights. Uh, again. To me, the only thing that stands between him and us actually crowning him down the road, can he take the shot? And, and what's he got inside his heart? You know, that there hasn't you. been tested yet. You know, you never really know until a guy gets into the, the crucible of the battle. We found that out about, as one example, when Evander Holyfield was coming up and you saw him in the cruiserweights uh, in the division and he was fighting for the title for the first time. You know, can this guy, he, he'd been a, not a gold medalist, he got robbed in the Olympics, he got the bronze. Uh you know, what's he going to do when it's the, the, the when you got to walk through the fire? And one of the great 15 round fights of all time, him and Dwight Muhammad Kawi, Evander uh, yes. Holyfield, walked through that fire and showed no matter what you thought about him, could he take the punch? Could he do this? Could he do that? You didn't question his ticker. And with Jalov, I'm not questioning his ticker. We just haven't seen it yet. So again, he's a prospect. We got to find out can he take the shot? We got to find out what he's got inside. But the fundamentals and the building blocks and all the physical things you look for are already intact. Love all of this. I want you to quickly give me anything else from that undercard, and then we're going to move on to Dillian White's main event win in England. Anything else, real quick, of note from the Marv Nation pay-per-view? Well, a couple other things. You had, uh, you know, Fernando Vargas uh, Jr., the son of uh, the former two-time champion. You know, he did what he was supposed to do, got a second-round knockout in uh, the opening pay-per-view fight against Alejandro Martinez. Uh, and the other fight, uh, they had the women's title fight, which was a pretty good fight, uh, where uh, Yocasa Valle, she moved up in weight, she won. Uh, a majority decision against Bermudez and a good fight to win uh, two of the belts at light flyweight. But the, the fight that I was paying close attention to on the undercard besides Jalop was the 154 pounder, the former United States Olympian undefeated Charles Conwell, who had a tough fight, man. You know, Juan Carlos Abreu was a journeyman. He's a stepping stone, but you got to test yourself against those guys. You know, he has like seven losses coming into the fight. I think it was, he'd only been stopped once. And that was by Jaron Ennis, you know, who was perhaps a special fighter. We'll find out soon enough. Uh, as the next year or so go on. But Conwell found himself in a tough fight. He got cut from a headbutt uh, in the first round. He had a fight through the blood in the cut the entire fight. He showed a lot of sort of balls to get through that fight. That was a tough, grinding, physical, hard fight. And uh, he got a majority decision. I thought he won it, you know, clearly, but one judge had it 95 to 95. As tough of a fight as it was, Conwell, he should learn from that fight. That was a, that was the, if he ever does become a world champion, 
that's one of those fights that were a building block to making a champion. And we love your insight and analysis. He's, Dan has done this for 20 plus years on what are the steps to becoming a champ and when do you when you face somebody that can hurt you, damage you, how do you respond? How do you respond to the adversity? So good stuff there on Conwell. All right, and one other thing that we want to remind you of on the Big Fight Weekend podcast is that we've got a sponsor, BetUS. And BetUS has got a great offer that is still intact right now. Uh, Dan Rayfield uh, with us. A 125% match bonus awaits you if you make an initial sign-up and deposit with them through our promo code BFW22. So on this podcast feed, the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed, use the promo code BFW22. You put 100 bucks in initially, you're going to get 125 more of their money to wager with. 200 in, you get 250 to wager in. You got a Tyson Fury fight with Derek Tesora coming this weekend. If you want to wager on that fight, sign up, use our promo code BFW22, put a couple of hundred bucks in if you want. You got 250 of their money to wager on the fight. If you want, and you've got uh, Estrada and Chocolatito, the trilogy fight also this weekend, wager on that fight, the college football championship games this weekend, or the bowl games coming up, the NFL, any sport, NBA, college basketball, but in particular boxing, as you're listening to this podcast feed, use our promo code BFW22 at betus.com. Get the initial sign-up bonus offer, 125% match. We do need to tell you that's up to $2,500. That's the maximum you can make on the initial deposit. I don't even know what the math is on a Monday off the weekend on what the match is on $2,500, but somebody figure that out. Uh, they will match it up to $2,500, 125% match bonus, promo code BFW22 with BetUS. Now, America's uh, sports book for 25 years is BetUS and BetUS.com, promo code bfw 22. Dillian White, victorious, although as you said, it was not easy. You wrote this uh, somewhat controversial, how close the decision was against Jermaine Franklin. Again, I have seen a highlight or two. I've read your recap. You're far more qualified because of my travels and this stuff. We defer to you. Your thoughts on White's return of the law, speaking of Tyson Fury, to Tyson Fury. He gets the win, but fair to say, not overly impressive in this one. Your thoughts? Well, first and foremost, as I always say, if you tuned in on zone and watched that fight, uh, you got your time's worth because it was a good fight. It was a good, solid heavyweight fight. Uh, you know, it was a lot better of a fight, frankly, than I thought it would have been. Uh, so I enjoyed the fight. I thought it was a terrific fight to watch. It, it, and it was the kind of fight I liked because it, it did build. It was like it started out and it went along and it built and it built and it built. And by the time the fight was getting into the late rounds, you really had a real sort of a bonfire going and they were really going back and forth. It was a hell of a fight. So uh, credit to those two guys because they showed a lot of balls in that fight. They took a lot of shots and they dished out a lot of shots and, and they really, they let it all hang out. You know, they may not have looked like they were in the greatest of shape going at that fight, which they didn't, but those guys were there to fight and they did their jobs and, uh, and they did not take, uh, uh, backward step really they they really they really came to win and uh, credit to both guys dylan white's always been a warrior and uh you know we're finding we found out a little bit that that jermaine franklin can be that also because this was his sort of proving ground he had been in uh uh in the pro game for a while but he never fought anybody in his first uh 21 fights that even remotely came close to what he fought in his 22nd fight against dylan white now all that said look i thought jermaine franklin uh did a great job in that fight um, controlled most of those early rounds. My ultimate scorecard, because Dylan White did come back strong in the last few rounds, almost had a knockdown uh, near the end of the fight. I scored the fight a draw. 
And in the end, the mm. judges had one judge uh, did have the fight a draw, had it a 115-115 draw, which I find to be obnoxious because that means you're giving multiple even rounds, which I find to be deplorable from a professional judge. But that's besides the point. He had the, ju- the one judge had it 115 to 115. The other two judges had it 116 to 112 in favor of uh, uh, of uh, of Dillian White. And I got a real problem with that. And so I had it a draw. And so as I stated uh, on my social media, if you want to tell me that you feel like Dillian, um, that, uh, that, that uh, Dillian White was the winner of that fight, seven to five, I cannot argue strongly with against that. Do you think that it was the same score and you thought that Jermaine Franklin was the winner of the fight? Fine. If you want to tell me you had it a draw like I did, I can agree with that also. I have a really, really hard time at 8-4, eight, eight, which is 116 to 112 in rounds. And I'd have people say, well, it's only one round different from 7 to 5. Yeah, it is one round different. And it's not mm-hmm. right because that's the – we always use in boxing, what's the acceptable range of, of a score? Because obviously, you know, it's, it's, it is subjective. Not everybody sure. is going to agree exactly. You're hopeful that they should agree, you know, generally, even if it's not every single round. The general acceptable scores, I felt like, were 7-5 either way or a draw. And if you're going to go 8-4, I'd be more likely to give Jermaine Franklin an eighth round than give uh, wow. an eighth round to to uh, Dillian White. So I can't sit here and say it. I don't think it's a robbery because he won you know, a majority decision. I just felt like Jermaine Franklin did not get enough credit for the great boxing he did early on, for the body work that he did. They both worked the body very well. Uh, you know, Dillian White's nickname is the body snatcher. Uh, stole that from Mike McCallum. Yeah. Uh, the great Hall of Famer. But anyway, look, they they both did uh, an excellent job. Uh, even though Jermaine Franklin took the loss, his first of his career, he made more fans and gained more attention and made himself more significant with that performance despite a loss than he did in his previous 21 fights. So, you know, he should not hold his head down. He's going to get a bigger fight now will it be as much money and that sort of thing because the loss still means something probably not but he's put himself on the map he makes himself a viable opponent for basically you know any contender out there uh so good good job from him i'd like to see him get in a little better shape to be quite honest uh you know that 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 i think would help him frankly as far as what he could do maybe put a little more steam on his mm-hmm. punches whatever but uh look you know he did a good job of the fight and dylan white look he's an old He's an old dog. You're not going to teach him new tricks. He's, he's a warrior. You know, he always makes a good fight. He's 35. He's on the back end. Clearly not what he was. You know, he had come off the loss against Fury by knockout, had been knocked out two fights earlier by Povetkin with one punch, had avenged the loss to Povetkin, who then retired, who was pretty much past his best as well. Uh, and what this did was Anthony Joshua was sitting there ringside. Yep. They Eddie Hearn wants to make a rematch between Joshua and Dillian White. They had fought. You know, years earlier, before, like right before AJ won his first world title, uh, it's a fight that British fans, I'm sure, will be interested in. Uh, it's a fight that Joshua probably will win. Uh, you know, it, it irritates me that a lot of them on the matchroom and on the Joshua side keep talking about they want to do a Deontay Wilder fight, which is there if they want to negotiate it. But instead, they're going to opt to do obviously a much easier fight against uh, Dillian White. That's the way boxing goes, uh, and I suspect that. You know, as as Eddie Hearn said in his post fight interview on DAZN, uh, following the main event, that Joshua's fight date is supposed to be announced in the next few days. He'd like it to be against Dillian White, 
possibly it could be against somebody else and maybe they'll do the Dillian White fight in the summer. But it's very obvious that at some point in 2023, unless something crazy happens, that we will see a rematch between uh, Anthony Joshua and, uh, and Dillian White. You feel confident of that. Joshua and beating by knockout. Again, I could go on and on. I'm a little punchy here. I would rather see Anthony Joshua fight Deontay Wilder. I've of told course. You on the by the way, don't, don't mistake me that I think, I, I I think the same thing. Right. But I don't think he's going to. I've said more bluntly on the record, I don't think he wants any part of that right hand, at least not for mega money and world titles. So I don't think that fight's going to happen. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But as you mentioned, and I, and I, uh, I heard Eddie Hearn say it, they're going to announce a fight date, and if Dillian White doesn't come to the table, they'll fight somebody else. Clarify for the audience and for me, he was promoting Eddie Hearn, Dillian White before. You said before he's not promoting Dillian White specifically any longer. So that not that part no, of the factor no, no, no. on how does that get made or clarify? Because you it, said the promotional deal was up. Did he re-up with Hearn, Dillian White? Eddie, Eddie, and, just, Eddie and, and Dillian White have worked together here and there on fight-by-fight -fight basis. Sometimes mm -hmm. he was under contract, sometimes not. Obviously, if they do a Joshua fight, Eddie's going to have uh, well, right. you know, rights, whether it's a rematch right or an option. That That's not going to be an issue. They've done good business together for a long time. So the, the promotional element, whatever the specifics are of whatever Dylan White's contract are, are not going to be a problem. He's going to – he'll be with Matchroom. They'll do the fight. If he's going to fight uh, Joshua, certainly he's going to be under Matchroom's banner, and he'll have uh, – you know, certain rights uh, for future fights. And let me just say from the cheap seats, Eddie Hearn negotiated on White's behalf for the better part of two years to get him a shot either against De uh, Deontay Wilder as the WBC champ or eventually Tyson Fury, who he did fight. And Dillian White made three or four times, three times at least the money that he had ever made. So there need, you know, that if you're Dillian White, this is a bigger fight in the UK and it's good money. Sure. But Hearn made him but, good money earlier this year, obviously. Yeah, the, I'm sta now I'm main, standing up for Eddie Hearn on the podcast. How about that? Keep going. Nothing wrong with standing up for somebody when they do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the point is, though, that what the main thing here is Dillian White needed to come back from the knockout to Fury. He did what he had to do. He took on a, a, a credible opponent. They didn't look. You can say whatever you want about Jermaine Franklin before this fight, but nobody said this was a soft touch. I, I mean, I thought that Dillian would win the fight, but – you know, I wasn't the one on our Bet US show picking Dylan by knockout, by the way. Uh, right. I figured that Jermaine would be a tough opponent. Not, not necessarily that he would win, but that uh, I even said I thought that he'd never shown anything to me that said he didn't have the ability to take a pretty good shot. And by the way, he took a lot of good shots. So I feel like he does have a pretty good chin. But anyway, it was important for uh, for White to come back and get the win. So the, the thing is, people can be upset because there was two scores that seemed out of reach. But to give Dylan the victory is not out of reach. That's why I don't consider it a robbery. Yeah, I had it a draw. Some people had Franklin. But you can certainly argue that, that especially over the second half of the fight, that White did enough to win at least seven rounds of the match. Fair enough on that. Anything else on that matchroom undercard that stood out to you or you want to move along? I mean, the only thing I guess of note was there was the heavyweight co-feature, Fabio Wardley. He stopped Nathan Gorman in the third round to win the vacant British heavyweight title. Uh, didn't surprise me. I thought Wardley would win that fight. He's he's very inexperienced. It was a good performance. I thought it'd be a little more competitive, but you know, Gorman just didn't really have much for him and uh, kind of beat him up for the for the three rounds. And they stopped. You know, the the corner uh, stopped the fight, and that was that. And uh, you know, for Wardley, a good win for him, but. I think he needs a little more seasoning before he's ready for the big boys. So you're saying without saying it, that's not the likely next fight for Anthony Joshua because Hearn Which wants fight? him to get, uh, if Wardley 
might be mentioned. You're saying not seasoned enough to get in with Joshua, even though they have the same promoter. Not going to happen next. Maybe down I've the never, road. I've never world. heard of. Right. I've never heard Fabio Wardley being mentioned. But he for had him, But he had him on the card in a co-feature fight. You're sure. just saying not a 2023 thing. You're not going to see him take a bigger step like that. Fabio Wardley. Fabio Wardley is vastly inexperienced. He's only got 15 professional fights. He just won the British title. He's not going to sacrifice his career against Joshua in the next fight. Not I never even. I never. It wouldn't be considered a. It's not a. To the to the to the main to boxing fans and especially to the British fans. I don't think anybody would consider that a credible fight. Fabio Wardley might have a future. They're not going to blow it to, to, to just jump in for a few dollars against Joshua. It's never even been broached by, by Matchroom, to my knowledge. Understood. There's steps to this, as you as you always say. There's steps you to this. You bring up some weird on. shit, TJ. Okay, hold on. Before you swat me, was he or was <laughs> he not the co-feature fight on Hearn's card? They're grooming him. He's just not ready for Joshua yet. And I even said that when I posed the scenario to you. It's not going to be a 2023 thing for him. Maybe it's Dillian White. We'll find out. Maybe it's somebody else. I don't know. All right. Uh, the, the Zach Parker, John Ryder, interim WBO, 168-pound title fight did take place. Again, Canelo's got the championship in that division. This was the interim belt, and it ends on an injury. Uh, also uh, on the uh, the Frank Warren card here, an injury to the hand of Zach Parker, and he had to retire, basically. TKO, pick it up from there in the recap mode real quick to wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, just listen, just a disappointing fight all around. Uh, he broke his hand. Um, it was just it, nothing had really happened a whole lot in the fight. They were, it was a fairly even fight. Parker was up by like one point, I think on two cards. I think the other card, uh, you know, had it a draw after four rounds. Um, and he, he broke the hand and he didn't come out of the you know corner after the fourth round. So officially it was a TKO at one second of the fifth round, but just a disappointing uh, fight all around. Now for John Ryder, obviously, you know, even in his comments, he was disappointed He's not disappointed to win. He gets a belt. He continues his career. He's going to put himself in position to make bigger money. But even in his own post-fight quotes, he felt like it was sort of like a like a robbery kind of win for him because, you know, he did, I think, you know, the guys who are the, the real fighters, yeah, they want to win the fight, but they want to win the fight. They don't want to win like that. I mean, they'll take it. You know, not going to argue with it. The W is a W. But uh, nobody really likes to win like that. I feel bad for Zach sure. Parker. You know, he's fighting a good fight. He's stepping up against his best opponent so far. And, to, to, to have that happen, uh, you know, the way that it did. He said, I think it was in the fourth round, he threw an uppercut, he caught the glove of uh, John Ryder and just broke the hand clean. Um, you know, and he got it looked at, I guess, and they confirmed that it was a break and he'll be out for a bit. But for John Ryder, uh, you know, he's he's got another good win for him. He just knocks off the undefeated uh, Zach Parker. It's a second good win in a row because he just come off the win. Uh, earlier in the year against Danny Jacobs, a, a controversial fight. You know, John Ryder's living like a charm life right now. A lot of people thought that Jacobs beat him. And here you have a fight with Parker that's just heating up that uh, gets uh, stopped the way it was because of an injury to the opponent. So he, he collects two wins against two good names and he gets a, a belt in one of them. And uh, mainly it puts him, as you mentioned, about Canelo being undisputed by virtue of having this interim title for the WBO. It puts him in position to possibly be a Canelo Alvarez uh, opponent in the near future. Speaking of Canelo, it was interesting. I have not kept up with a lot of the World Cup this weekend, but Argentina did did beat Mexico, not in a knockout game, in the group stage game. And then there was video of Lionel Messi. I've been educated on how to pronounce the name. The famous, the world-famous Argentinian star using the Mexican flag to wipe the floor up. And Canelo rang in on social media 
and translated from Spanish without curse words, said, God better help Messi that I don't find him after I watched that. So Canelo may be angling for a Messi pay-per-view. I don't know the weight differential there on the weight classes, but I just thought I would my, share my that. My understanding was weekend. that it wasn't the Mexican flag. It was the Mexican jersey. I guess okay. they did like a jersey swap after the game. And, and he was using it to custodially wipe well, the Well, no, floor? it's like I saw some quotes from Messi like in a story that I read actually earlier this morning. That, that 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 that's the norm in a in a soccer locker room after a, a game is the shirts are all over the floor because right. they're all sweating a mess and that and again I didn't see the video but the way it was described was it didn't look like he was doing it on purpose so perhaps <laughs> perhaps our boy Canelo overreacted a little bit but he's bitter about you know. the loss and it did not knock Mexico out they still have the knockout stage to come and Argentina and Mexico may play again we'll see blah 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 but I just thought I would share that. Anything else in the recap mode? I know we'll be in the preview mode later in the week for Fury Chisora, and I know you're amped about Chocolatito and Estrada for the third time. That's in Arizona. Uh, the Fury Chisora fight at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium coming Saturday in North London. Anything else in the recap mode, Mighty One, or are we good for a recap podcast? I think we've covered it. I mean, it, was a, it wasn't like a mega weekend, TJ, but it was, you know, there was a little bit for everybody. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the heavyweight fight. A lot more than I thought I would. So, you know, not that I was against the fight when they made it between White and Franklin, but turned out to be better than I expected. That's never a bad thing if you can uh, under-promise and over-deliver. Uh, and in terms of the uh, Zapata and Prore fight, I, I, I've told you and everybody, I was looking forward to that pretty much from the beginning when that fight was made. I saw, I thought the card would be entertaining. And you know what? When I was done Saturday night and that card was all uh, said and done, I felt like, you know what, it was not a waste of time in any way, shape, or form. I feel like if you bought the pay-per-view, you got your money's worth. It was it was a good show. Um, guys took steps forward. We saw something from Charles Conwell. We saw something from even Fernando Vargas Jr., uh, a good women's title fight. We saw uh, Jalalov, you know, do what we expected and just show that he is, you know, moving up the ladder rather quickly. And in the main event, Regis Progress put on a tremendous performance. And, uh, you know, let me mention one other thing before we get out of here. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that Regis Progress showed a lot of a lot of uh, class after the fight. The way that he spoke about Zapata, saying, you know, and if you and if you know Regis at all, he's a he's an emotional guy. He wears his heart on yes. his sleeve. I've always found him to be, you know, brutally honest in, in his commentary about whatever he's talking about. Basically, was like, look, that was, you know, that dude is tough. That's like the toughest fight, probably the 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 best fight anybody ever gave me in my career. And uh, he was telling. He was telling Zapata was standing a few feet away from him in the ring when they were when he was doing his interview uh, after the fight. You know, don't give up. You can be a world champion. So he was, you know, for everything he had just accomplished, he was taking time out to to prop up his opponent, to give him, you know, good words and to encourage him to to uh, go on. You know, at a moment when Zapata had to be absolutely crushed because he had spent the whole time leading up to the fight talking about how like he feels like this is his third opportunity to fight for a title. You know, third time's the charm. Maybe the last time. I better get it done. I've got no option to fail. It was in front of his home people, uh, so that had to be a pretty low moment. And I thought it was real classy of Regis to speak that way to him in the ring after the fight. You know, he's a good guy. Zapata's is a good guy, and they put on a hell of a fight. Love it, uh, and in sportsmanship, I, I'm going over this with mine. I work with a lot of younger kids. Sportsmanship comes in all forms and fashion, and there's nothing wrong with crediting your opponent, even in defeat. It's tougher in defeat, team sports, individual sport, but crediting the opponent, it says a lot for you. It says a lot for your character, your makeup, et cetera, 
that you're willing to accept that. And uh, this is a brutal sport, as you you often say. And and these guys take real risks and otherwise. And that was a pretty brutal TKO at the end uh, as well. And Prograce wanted to heap some praise on Zapata for being a tough opponent. And good on him. I agree with you. Yeah, good absolutely. It was, it was a rough knockout that. for sure. Uh, great stuff, Dan Rayfield. Thank you. I look forward to reading you more, not only on Big Fight Weekend, but your Fight Freaks Unite Substack. And we're previewing Fury and Chisora as well as the trilogy Estrada and Chocolatito fight. We'll do all that later in a week. We're good for now on this podcast. Thank you, sir. You bet, DJ. Have a good week, my man. And we thank you for finding us here on the Fight Freaks Unite Recap Podcast, the Big Fight Weekend Podcast feed. More great con- content coming up. By the way, I'll do just a cryptic tease. Could be a good interview coming later on on our Big Fight Weekend preview. Dan's got the fingers crossed that we got a big-time name coming up later in the week. You want to be following or subscribing on this podcast feed, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. For now, we're good. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us off the weekend on Fight Freaks Unite.